Thanks for joining us here on Bearcat Rewind as we're getting set for podcast number 91 coming to you today. And last week we had a familiar voice back on the Bearcat Radio Network as we had Bob Lay joining John Coffey on the call of the Northwest Missouri State and Missouri Southern football game down in Joplin. We had assignments for football, men's basketball, women's basketball sending us in all different directions on Saturday. So Bob stepped in for us there and came in clutch as he filled in on the color commentating side with John Coffey for that game. And Blade came to Northwest as a grad assistant in 1978 after getting his bachelor's degree from Tarkio College. Then he returned as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in 1981. He also served as the recreational sports director on campus, overseeing the rec center and intramurals. And after he finished up coaching, he ended up joining John in the booth as his color commentator through the 1998 season when the Bearcats won their first national championship. Now, Bob and I went over his coaching days, the changes he's seen on campus over the years, and discussed his current job as the NAIA's Director of Officiating Initiatives on today's podcast. And Bearcat Rewind is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is available on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu foundation. And Clorinda Regional Health Center offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information at ClorindaHealth.com. Bob Lade joins us for today's podcast, talking about getting back in the radio booth, his passion for Northwest Missouri State, and since he was a state champion quarterback at Tarkio High School, then a college QB, what offense he would want to be running if he were out there today. Let's dive into this week's Bearcat Rewind. Well, today we are joined by a former Northwest Missouri State football coach, a man that was employed by the university for a long time, now working with the NAIA. We have Bob Lade. And, uh, Bob, it's great to have you on. And it's funny because you had so much to do with Northwest Missouri State athletics um, and now working with officials with the NAIA. But I'm not sure how many people remember back 20-plus years ago that uh, your voice was on the radio every Saturday throughout the fall here with the Bearcats. I came to Northwest. I was a graduate assistant in 78, went and taught high school for three years, and then came back full-time in 81 as a football coach and, and coached football, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach for uh, seven years there. And once I stopped coaching football, uh, one of the, my side gigs was a radio color commentator. And so I worked with John Coffey for quite a few years there. And uh, even through, uh, I guess, the highlight of my color, color commentary was 1998 when the Bearcats won their first national championship. And uh, ever since then, they've gone to the Bearcat Network. I have on occasions filled in as need be. And what happened last week when you guys were really busy with all the men's and women's basketball, uh, John asked me to come back and did the color commentary for the Missouri Southern game last week. Well, and it's 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 a busy time of year, but it's also a fun time of year because so much is going on. It also uh, opens up opportunities like that, and it was cool because I was back here in Maryville getting ready for the women's basketball game, listening to you guys. You guys sounded great, of course. Was it like riding a bike of just kind of getting in there, putting the headset on, and just going? Well, yes. Luckily, John makes it very easy. And he and I worked together before, and I think we had a pretty good report, even though we hadn't done it for a couple of years. Um I'd say after the first two series, I was feeling better. Now, I don't help John with all the things that you do. That's the unfortunate part. But when I do color commentary, I uh, like to tell people what I want to hear on the radio, what's happening. John reports what happened. I describe how it happened is what I try to do. So 
I think I'm pretty good. I know when he wants to talk, he, he lets me uh, give my little insights and everything. So I think we just kind of clicked. And, and as far as I know, it, it went very smoothly as far as, as far as I felt. Oh, definitely. And, and you're right, that rapport of just kind of knowing the guy next to you or, or the lady next to you of um, when they need to jump in and, or when you need to step in and say something, when those uh, those open spaces are going to come up. It is kind of just a, a getting into a flow of it overall. And it's been a while since you guys had been in the booth like that. And, of course, like I said, every Saturday throughout the fall back for, you know, 10, 12, 13 years, whatever it was, um, through 1998 there. Uh, how did that come about in the first place? As you wrap up your time coaching at Northwest, uh, OC and QBs, as you mentioned, was there a discussion there of John saying, hey, I could use you, or were you saying, hey, I'd love to hop up in the booth with you? Well, I was coaching, and um, we, we were, you know, we became successful there. Uh, Jim Red hired me on, and, and then after he left, uh, Vern Thompson came in in 1984, we were the first Northwest team to ever qualify for the playoffs. And I like to kid the coaches nowadays. I said back then it was a little bit harder to get in. We only had, they only took eight teams. Now they take 28. So, you know, we, <laughs> it was a little bit harder. But after every game uh, in those times, uh, I would go on the radio and do a post game with the, with the radio people. And that was just kind of fun. And so when I stopped coaching, I, John offered that. Um, I did that along with another assistant coach, Nelson Richter. He and I kind of traded off. I actually helped him with the basketball some too. And as I'd coached, you know, football, I'd coached basketball, I officiated both sports a little bit then. And it was just kind of a natural thing. And again, I was just telling people the story of what I saw out there so they could have a picture in their mind. And so just kind of took off and I would work all the home games and some of the, some of the away games and then as Northwest uh, got a little bit better, um, of course, it became more interesting and got to go on trips and then making that run for that first uh, national championship in 98. Well, and take us through that year, too. You knew Northwest Missouri State was good. The program obviously was uh, up and coming and so much talent around that program. Uh, what was that season like? At what point did you kind of sit there and think, boy, this team could really go through and pull this off? Well, I knew the season before when they when they made a deep run, they had a lot of people back. And when you have Chris Grice in a quarterback, you're going to be at every game. You're going to be in every game. Uh, it was just a special talent. There's been a lot of good quarterbacks at Northwest Missouri State. I had the opportunity to coach a couple very good ones. Um, Brian Quinn is still is still on the record books on some of that. We kind of threw it around a little bit too. But when you have Chris Grice, and that's just a special talent. So I knew with him they were going to score and the defense just got better and better every year, uh, every game during that, during the course of the year. And as we went through the games and in the playoffs, I could just see that this team was pretty much on a mission. Um, and, and I really thought with a few breaks, you, you, they could get there. And when they did and, and they made it to the championship game, well then, you know, everything's up for grabs, but, Doing that game, you talk about you know knowing your, your person. The games always, if the, if you have a good game flow, as you know, Matt, the it's easy to call a game. And when the game's not good, it's 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 tough to get into it. Well, that was a really good game. Uh, there was a good flow. Northwest got off early in the game and uh, really moved the ball well. And so they were they were there was no doubt that they were the best team in Division Two that year, uh, going you know undefeated. 
And there are certain years like that, too. And, and we've seen it with Northwest Missouri State football. We've seen it with Northwest basketball here in recent years, too. You kind of get that feeling of like, man, they're going to take off and, and, and nobody can stop them. I know as a fan, as a media member, you kind of get that feeling of like, they're just going to keep on rolling. There's also the feeling as a fan, I know this from various teams I've watched, that um, being a fan of the Oakland Raiders for a long time, there have been a lot of lean years. You just know something bad's going to happen, a fumble, and interception, they're going to turn it over. I would imagine some Northwest fans around 1994 had that feeling too of, boy, even if we're in a game, we're not going to be able to find a way to pull this off. Something bad's going to happen. How did that transition work from your perspective, a former coach, you're in the radio booth, and you're seeing this team make those jumps from winless in 94 to national champion in 1998. Do you kind of feel things flowing and just kind of the worm slowly turned to where you're like, wow, we're, we're right there. Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think as a former player, I played in high school and then playing in college and then coaching, I think I had a pretty good perspective. I was, I was doing a lot of officiating at that time and we would, we would work the scrimmages for the Bearcats and, and their spring game or their fall scrimmages. And that first year, that first spring, excuse me, when coach Churchman and staff was there, it was not a very pretty spring game. And there was a lot of things on the field. I just couldn't believe that were taking place to be quite honest in a spring game and the attitude. Well, guess what? Those players did not last very long. And, uh, even though they took their lumps that first year, they were holding, they were redshirting that whole freshman class. Uh, it was tough for them, of, of course, but I saw it changing and I saw the attitude changing and getting better quality people in. Maybe not, not ability wise, but yes, they brought in some better ability, better ability wise, but just better quality people. And I could see that changing throughout the year. Uh, Greg Teal at quarterback that year and just improved and improved the attitude and, and just how the players reacted. A little bit more discipline, a lot more discipline. And uh, I could tell that, that it, was, it was really going the right way and that we got some good things were going to happen. Well, and as an assistant in the 80s, as you mentioned with first Coach Red, then Coach Thompson, that playoff appearance in 1984 and really kind of um, – pushed Northwest Missouri State onto the national scene there, um, but then it kind of took a step back, once, you know, obviously building up from Coach Churchman from that point. Did you ever look around and the facilities, the program, Maryville as a whole, and think when you were coaching in the 80s, like, you know, you could really build this into a perennial national contender here, or did it feel like it was going to take something pretty special to make that happen as far as, of course, we look around now and uh, fantastic Bearcat Stadium, the Hughes Fieldhouse and all, but... What was the perspective like in the mid-80s when you're looking at it from there? Well, back then in the mid-80s, the facilities around the country were nothing compared to what they are now. Uh, more or less, you had a facility, and, and Rick and Road was, was adequate. It was nicer than some, not as nice as others. That wasn't as big a deal. Nowadays, kids want a lot of special-type things. Um, I was more in tune then with just getting the players and doing what they were supposed to do and doing the right thing. And you're also a very good coach when you have good players. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to coach a couple All-Americans, so that made me a pretty good coach. Um, but that, that's the key. I'm kind of bringing this up is because I've said this for years, and people are seeing it even with the Chiefs now, um, to be good – there's three things to go a long ways. You have to have three things. You got to be good. You have to have good players. Number one, number two, 
you have to be healthy. And number three, you have to get some breaks. And yes, in 94, in 84, excuse me, we, we did all those things. We got some really good breaks and we played very well. Our only loss was Northern Iowa. But I will tell you that the football team in 85, we were actually more talented overall than we were in 84. But guess what? We did not get the breaks, you know, like a kickoff going, uh, instead of bouncing into the end zone, it bounces out of bounds at the one yard line and you start a drive. Just little things like that. But seeing the progression up through there, I want people to remember that, that in the 80s, everybody was pretty much the same. You just had to get good players. We get into the 90s, and you know things aren't going real well, but Coach Trishma comes in, and he starts turning around. Remember, folks, that in 98, 99, we didn't have any new facilities. We won two national championships at Northwest Missouri State. So that was the springboard to start getting better facilities and to bring more people in. And the thing that was amazing was the consistency as it goes on. That was the hardest thing back in those days was consistency, I think. You, you had a group of kids that went through and were really strong. You might be strong for a year or two, then it fell off. But what they, what Coach Churchman and all his coaches did was run that consistency through, and then it made these better facilities. And we see that all over the country. It all filters down where you have to have wonderful facilities and all these extras, and they're wearing new, uh, different uniforms every week and all that. So things have changed a lot since my coaching days in the 1980s. Well, even after finishing up your, your time coaching at Northwest, you stuck around the recreational sports director. I know running the rec center here at Northwest Missouri State, and you still had the experience of you know, working with students, not just student athletes, but the student body as a whole, but still uh, a chance to build those relationships. You're watching Northwest evolve overall. What was the experience like of, of seeing the university take some of those changes on, but still be able to impact students' lives like that in that role? Very good question. Um, when I was hired at Northwest, I was hired to coach football, but I was also hired as the by, by Coach Flanagan. He was the athletic director at the time, Richard Flanagan, as the very first full-time intramural director. And I also taught classes in the phys ed department. So running intramurals, I, I had my I had my student, I had my athletes, I had the students. We were running intramurals, inter, interacting with fraternities and sororities and all that. And then when I stopped coaching, I went full-time in recreation and and teaching and that was about the time these student recreation centers were starting to pop up all over the country and really started pushing for that and dr jim haroff who was head of the p department at the time was really a backer for that because of him and a lot of other people and pushing for it we got that student um, recreation center open in about 2001 i believe it was and that really changed things of how how the the student population uh, uh was able to uh, show themselves and be healthy and, and uh, do a lot of things. I, when I stopped coaching, I was worried, oh, I'm really going to miss my, my athletes that I coach every day in that interaction. However, it, our the recreation department grew so much that I was doing that on a daily basis with students because I had four graduate assistants and, all, and probably about 50 to 70 student assistants that worked for our department. So I was interacting with students all the time, and that's what keeps you young throughout the years is doing that. Uh, I guess I told people this, this, I guess this is a job, but I did it for 33 years at Northwest and, and the students keep you young and we were able to expand the recreation department and, and, and open things up and, um, having that student recreation center was good. And probably the, the last thing before I left 
was uh, I was really a big pusher for the new fitness center, the Foster Fitness Center there. The, the pool had closed down. We weren't using it for every, anything. Um, this wasn't my me doing it. I got a hold of Coach Churchman, who was the athletic director at the time, and, and, and my boss, and I said, Coach, we got to do something with this or it's just going to fall in. And, of course, he had the, the push to be able to get that through there, and he says, we got to do something for the students uh, to get them more on board so that, you know, eventually – they could help with the, the Hughes Fieldhouse down the line. So all of it works together. And and when I when I left Northwestern, retired from there, um, that was we were in the process, a planning process, and designing the whole facility. And I'm very excited about that because that again added things for the general student population and and working with them and working with all these students. I, I could name a lot of people. I was fortunate enough to have some really sharp you know young men and women to work with. But since we're talking about athletics, I was pretty proud a couple of years ago that on a Monday, one of my former graduate graduate assistants, Tom Eisenhower, was named athletic director of Division II William Jewell. And then on Tuesday, a former graduate assistant of mine, Andy Peterson, was named the athletic director at Northwest Missouri State. And I said, well, I may not be very good, but, but maybe I've helped these people along a little bit. I know how to hire some good people. So that was always something I, I like to bring up every once in a while. That's pretty cool and very impressive to see those names like that grow within the programs and then take on those athletic departments on their own. That, that's very awesome to see. And, and I know personally, too, when you think about that rec center, that was here from the minute I stepped on campus. So it was something that's very easy to take for granted, but it was something that constantly you're always in where there's intramurals just playing some some pickup basketball the suspended track around now students have the foster fitness center there are some similar universities or similar size around our area around the country that don't have anything near that that don't even have a rec center to this point and so it's easy to take for granted some of that but that is major especially when we are in a stage i think within our country that we do need to make more of a push toward um physical fitness and being healthy and that sort of thing. It's it's very cool to see Northwest Missouri State have such good facilities, not only for student-athletes, but for the student in general to step in and um, be able to take care of themselves and kind of try to avoid that freshman 15. That's exactly right. And, and what our physical education teachers are teaching nowadays to these kids in high school is, sure, they still have some classes in the traditional, hey, let's go play some flag football, softball, you know, maybe even throw in hopefully not too much dodgeball, but <laughs> some games. But what they're really into is, is the personal training type stuff and a healthy type atmosphere. So we've got the college students now are coming in, are really have already have that in their mind. So they want a place to go to to continue that because maybe they don't like to play the team sports, but they want to remain active and healthy. So that's why it's been so important at Northwest for the as the administration has supported this, as it has grown, as our, our department has grown. It's just not health and PE anymore, but we have the nutrition, the nutrition side. We have the, the sports psychology type stuff. That, that's just huge nowadays. And, again, I thank the administrators for, for seeing that and putting Northwest up there uh, for this ability because I don't, I don't know, but if I'm a freshman coming in and I'm active at all, if you have a place to go to like that, and again, there's some places, like I said, that don't have it as nice, and some are nicer. I I would just spend my, all my, as much time, as free time as I possibly could in those places uh, and, and hang out. Um, 
I heard it was a, a very popular place, even more so than the, the library, I believe, the Student Recreation Center was. <laughs> yeah, I think there's quite a few students that find a way to avoid the library. Um, John Coffey <laughs> mentions that he didn't really show up to the library at all his entire time he was in college. Uh, and he turned out okay, but he was physically fit because he was always active. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> well, he, he was that great tennis player from Albany, Missouri there, you know. That's right. Without a tennis program, Albany still made it happen. So there you go. Uh <laughs> So you mentioned a little bit earlier, you, you were involved in officiating. That was something along with coaching that, uh, that you really kept up and that expertise ended up rolling into what you're currently doing right now, working with the NAIA as the director of officiating initiatives. Um, how did that opportunity come about? Was that something you were gung ho immediately when you, when you had the chance or did it take a little bit of convincing to get you to that point? It was very strange how it happened and kind of quirky, but how I got into officiating first was when I graduated from high school, my football coach, uh, David Palmero, still is in Tarkio, um, said, you need to be official. And he was a very good, outstanding official. Uh, he worked all the big games in the MIAA at the time and worked in the heart of America and so forth. And he was just ready to move to the division one level when he had a, had a, a snowmobile accident and, and, he, and he could not officiate anymore. But I went to college first year intramurals, you know, they got paid zero money and they cussed you out. And then after the game said, Hey, can you come back tomorrow night? Sure. I'll be there. Um, then I was fortunate enough my sophomore year that there was a, a person in town that was retiring. So he took a couple other officials in town, took me under the wing. I got licensed when I was a sophomore in college and you know what? That's pretty good money for a college kid. And um, found out that, work, that basketball worked pretty well. I was working strictly basketball because I was going to be a football guy. And even when I was a football coach in high school and then in college, it was really great because I did my coaching in football. But then I would go out to the, all the area schools and officiate. And you get to see players around the area and athletes and say, hey, you know, you get a little in there on the recruiting part. So it also helps out with at home with uh, – Christmas presents and vacations and all that kind of stuff. So that was my hobby. I, I didn't I didn't do any much hunting, didn't do any fishing, just a little bit of golfing. So so that's I really like that. And then we started an association in, in in the Northwest Missouri area, and getting all these officials in. And we have a very good strong association, and they're very well represented represented in the state uh, the Missouri State High School Activity Association. Many people in the sports of baseball, softball, basketball, football, and volleyball have worked state championships developing that. So I was working with that. And, uh, again, I was officiating college women's basketball. And when you're working intramurals, you have to do all the sports. You have to come up with the rules and taking care of everything. And you're training officials, working with students, you're training all the time in all the different sports. So... I'm working in Northwest all this time. Everything's fine. You know, been there 33 years, kind of thinking about, gee, what am I going to do next and all that. And my daughter, who lived down here in Kansas City, sent me this link. She says, hey, Dad, I just found this. It sounds like you. And it was from the NAIA in Kansas City, which I knew very well because I was an NAIA athlete and I knew all about them. Um, And it said they were going to have this director of officiating initiatives. And I looked that term up and The only thing on Google I found was something in Australia that was called Director of Officiating Initiatives. (laughs) So I thought, well, I'll throw my name in and find out. And I went down and interviewed. They had me down for an interview um, uh, and found out that they needed somebody. They didn't have anybody that was really in charge of officiating at all. 
and they wanted to, to, to start doing that. Um, and uh, with the help of one of my other former bosses and athletic directors, Dr. Bob Borker, I know he helped me quite a bit with this. Uh, they offered me the job all of a sudden in late uh, August in 2014. And I go, whoa. So I had to have a quick talk with Coach Churchma, and both the NAIA and Coach Churchma worked the deal out. And I was actually working both jobs in August and September. I officially retired from Northwest on October 1st that year and continued to teach for two weeks to finish out my <laughs> coursework at Northwest after I retired. And also working with my wonderful graduate assistants that kept things running, I would still come back on a weekly basis because my wife was teaching at St. Gregory's, which she did for 34 years, and uh, there was no way to move at that time. So I was driving back and forth to Kansas City. Luckily, some nights I was staying at, uh, with my daughter, and we she just had a grand our granddaughter, so that wasn't a bad a bad deal either. But it's basically the what I do is I train and educate all the officials. And I deal mainly with these sports, football, men's soccer, women's soccer, women's volleyball, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, softball, men's volleyball, working with almost 5,000 officials across the country and and almost every state, um, training, educating, working with the NCAA. We're all on the same page here. We're all wanting the same thing. 80% of our officials work both NCAA and NAIA games, and we want to try to get them on the same page so you don't get that when one school travels from California to Texas to Florida and they go, well, that's not how they call it at our place. That's what you hear. You know, we don't, we're working toward that. It's not perfect. They're trying to get there. But uh, I also got, get to set policies and procedures. I have not assigned one official in the, my uh, now, I've been working here um, seven years at the NAIA, but I do all the procedures and protocols, and so I'm getting to do my two passions. The reason I took the job was was hey, this they're going to hire a, a 60 year old guy to do this. You don't get that offer very much, so that's good. But I get to do two things: I get to teach, educate, and I get to work with officials every single day. And I couldn't think of a better, quote, retirement job than that. So it's just been the best of both worlds. And, of course, still, uh, we, we, after a year, we, we moved down here. to Liber- We're just outside of Liberty. We're right off 435. I can be at the stadium at Northwest in an hour and 15 minutes, uh, five minutes from, my, from my, uh, three of my grandkids and everything. We're in the Liberty North School District. Um, it's an easy, our offices, we've got brand new offices for the NAI that are right across the street from the Marriott hotel, uh, that we don't get to use because of COVID, <laughs> uh, but they are really nice. Uh, hopefully we get to do that in January. So it, it, it's been a great thing. And then I get to come back to Northwest, work some radio. I also come up sometimes and help out the athletic department by running the game clock for football or the play clock when they need a substitute. And I still work some for the MIAA and observing basketball officials during basketball season. So the officiating thing has really been a good thing, provide a lot of things for our family. Well, you got to love, too, that it's your daughter calling you and saying, hey, this this is open. You should take a look into it. And obviously she's looking out for your best interest there. Um, I know a lot of folks, including me, because I, you know, I just feel like the stress of it, officials – are doing a good job when nobody knows they, they're there and it just kind of is in the flow of things. Um, well, I say they're doing a good job. People believe they're doing a good job when you don't even know they exist and they're just kind of there. 
but then occasionally there's a controversial call or something difficult, even if it's called correctly, that people think they're the, there's the worst thing in the stadium, in the arena, and it's and all of it, you know, it's enemy number one. I just feel like the stress would be so high and so much respect for the guys and gals that get out there and able to do that and for you to kind of uh, devote so much of your life to it too. It says a lot about it because I just, whew, that would be a lot for me to handle. I don't know if I could do it. Well, I, I explain this to people. When I officiate, that is the least stressful time in my life. I'm a little bit of a control freak. And as mo- a lot of people know that may be listening to this, we, we had a bad thing happen with our family when our son had his accident about 18 years ago. And I found out that I had absolutely no control of life. However, the thing that kept me sane during the early years of, of, this, of his rehab was I was still able to officiate. And for that two hours when I'm on the court or the field, I am in control. It's the only time I really have any control. And those that don't do it don't understand it, but it is a stress reliever. None of that bothers me. You're trained. You try to do the best job. You know, you understand that um, you you might make a mistake. I was lucky enough to, you know, to stop officiating on the quarter field before I'd miss any calls, but, um, <laughs> you know, some people do. But uh, when the crowd reacts, you, you, you just go with it. it does, I've been doing it long enough that whatever they say doesn't bother me. And sometimes I, I even hear some funny stuff that, that cracks you up. But <laughs> any of that just doesn't bother me. But the issue that we're having nowadays, Matt, and I want to bring this out, is this is serious. We are, we are not having enough officials. The average age of officials across the United States is 57 years old in all sports. And people aren't coming into it because it's kind of what you just said. Why would I want to drive two hours, maybe longer, uh, but you drive two hours to Kansas City, uh, you got to be there an hour and a half before the football game starts. The football, high school football games average over two and a half hours, and then you got to drive back, and the people are yelling at you and screaming at you, and they say, hey, here's 100 bucks." So if I told you to do that, to go drive down there for all that time and get yelled and screamed at, and there was $200 there, would you pick that? Would you go pick that up? I don't know. I don't know. Um, that'd be hard. Yeah, it is. And in certain parts of the country, they're 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 canceling games or they're having to move them off the typical Friday night football games. Um, it's starting to affect college basketball. I've already talked to some of our signers in the NAIA, and they're telling me that on in January and February on Saturday, when every college team in the nation is playing on Saturday it's getting very hard to even get college officials to, to, to work. There's just not enough of them because we're not getting that influx because people don't want to put up with all the stuff. So we're encouraging coaches to talk to their players about getting into the game. And, and, and if you enjoy it, this is something that that's why I did it. I enjoyed it. Hey, the, the money was good. I mean, you're not going to get rich or anything unless you get to division one, which most people don't, but you're still a part of the game. And, I, I worked. I would either played high school football, coached high school football, or officiated high school football for 44 straight years before I had a Friday night off. And let me tell you, that was a, that was a weird thing. But you stay a part of the game as the official, and you're into it, and you're giving back to something you love, and you're allowing these students to play. Because if we don't get more people into it, kids are not going to be able to play their games. 
So uh, next time you think about yelling at us, I'm not going to say you have to agree with every call that an official makes. Surely no. You know, I sit up there in the, in the stands too. It's a lot easier sitting up there. Uh, you don't have people running around. But think about it and, and thank them next time instead of yelling at them and, and telling them how bad they are. And maybe we can get some more people involved in this. Well, and you know, coaches are usually in constant communication with an official, umpire, referee, whatever. Um, but yeah, you do have uh, some of the fans occasionally will get a little bit uh, intense with it at times, I think. And I don't know if you've read uh, Mike Matheny's book, The Matheny Manifesto, uh, but he talks about whenever he was asked to coach his Little League baseball team or his kids' Little League baseball team that he sat down with all the parents and said, okay, but if we're going to do this, you can clap. You can maybe occasionally say something positive about your kid, but you're not coaching them from the side. You're not yelling at the umpires. You know, it's if we could all kind of adopt that Matheny manifesto style of, all right, we're going to say something positive or we're just going to clap and just kind of do our best to not say anything at all and just kind of let the players play and the coaches coach and the referees officiate, that would probably go a long way toward, you know, more and more folks like yourself kind of getting back into it and, and, and wanting to jump in because, yeah, it does – it does feel like it does get a little overwhelming at times with people that get a little bit intense with some of the, whether it's youth sports, high school sports, or on up. I'm going to quote Lou Holtz here a little bit for those that know Lou Holtz. And he said one time, he said, it seems to me that all what the fans want to do is coach. And all the coaches want to do is officiate. And all what the officials want to do is just watch the game. <laughs> well, that's kind of true. Uh, and if we get, we do get into the game free, but, the thing that bothered me the most as an official was not the fans yelling at me, uh, whatever. Uh, I wish they would, but they do. But when I was on the court and I heard fans yelling at the players, mm. I said, what? These are 15, 16-year-old kids, and you're screaming at that, that bothered me more. So think about that. And what Mike Matheny said, when you go to the game, your job as a fan is to support your team. Yell, clap, support your team. That's what you're there for, Okay again, you may not like every call and everything, but that's what you're there for. Yells like, don't make fun of the other team, okay? Don't do that, but that's what will keep officials going and kids coming back and, and, and playing. That, that's what we want done. And for the most part, the coaches are really good to work with. Yeah, you see some of that stuff that happens. Uh, we watch it on TV at, those, at that highest level when there's a whole lot of money involved and, and all that kind of stuff. But the youth and, and the high school we need to keep this under control. This is an educational process here is what we're doing, and, and kids want good experience of that. So that, that's what we're working for. That's what the coaches want. That's what the officials want. We, as an official, I would tell people, as a basketball official, I want to, I'm going to blow the whistle to throw the ball up, and I never even want to blow my whistle the rest of the game if I can keep from it. That's what they need to understand. And they were just there to – Make sure everybody you know stays safe. So uh, just remember that next time you go out to one of your kids' game and thank the officials after the game. You know, I know fans are always watching coaches talk to officials, and they're wondering what wonder what the discussion is, wonder what's being said. And I always thought it was funny that uh, Gene Steinmeier said that you know fans would think he's constantly in the ear and badgering the officials the whole game, but he's like. No, just having a friendly conversation or telling them a joke or laughing at something. And, like, man, knowing Coach Steinmeier, he probably was carrying on just a kind of a fun conversation about whether it was what you're going to eat after the ball game or, or anything else uh, instead of just, you know, barking at them or riding them the whole game. But, yeah, it's, it's little things like that that <laughs> kind of make it kind of funny when you look through. Um, but you've do, been doing it for such a long time, Bob, and um, officiating uh, so many different sports. 
for you when you look at it, is there any sport that's a little bit harder than the rest or, you know, whether it's, you know, keeping that eye trained and, and kind of keeping your eye on everything at one time, is there one sport that's harder than another? Well, I, I, I would say overall, when people ask that question, what, what's your opinion on the, on the hardest sport to officiate? My personal answer would be ice hockey, because first of all, you got to be able to skate, okay, which I can't do. So you got to be good on your skates, and that puck's flying at you, and those players are flying at you, and you're all in that confined space. So I think that would be the toughest sport to do. Every sport has their own nuances. The one that probably gives – I don't really deal with ice hockey, uh, and everybody, each official will tell you why their sport is the hardest to call. But uh, I, now in dealing with all the sports that I see, I, I think one of the toughest ones, the ones we're, we're struggling with right now, at least I am, is a sport of soccer. And I just really, I've tried to wrap my head around it and everything, and they have a completely different attitude, the players, the coaches, the officials, than what I'm used to as, as say, a football or basketball official. But one thing I don't understand is we have a football field, and there's 22 players out there, and we have seven to eight officials, and they miss stuff. So now we're going to go to the soccer pitch, and the field's even bigger, and we got 22 players, and you have three officials. So how in the world are they supposed to do that and do it right? I, I don't understand that. So uh, you got to be in super good shape to be a soccer official and um, and uh, eyes in the back of your head at all times, I guess. So that would be one that I see looks very difficult also. All right, all right. Well, I, I got a couple more quick ones, and then I'll let you go. I appreciate coming on and talking with me here today. Um, it's been a little bit. You mentioned 2014, wrapping up your time here on campus at Northwest Missouri State. Is there one thing specifically that you kind of point to that you miss about being on campus and being in Maryville every day like that? Well, my wife, my wife and I always say when people ask me that, um, we miss people. That's what we miss in Maryville. It, it was you know, we lived there thirty four years, and our kids all grew up there, and all and they're all spoof hounds, and so that's what we miss is is uh, is the people. Um, when I took the job, uh, the guy that hired me at the NEI said, now we have some people that come from college uh, campuses and they come here and, and they miss that interaction. And I said, well, I went from a job where my office had the door open in the rec center and basketballs would bounce in 10 times a day and somebody was always sticking their head in to working in an office where sometimes nobody would, I, I, nobody would come into my office but I'm interacting on the computer and a lot of phone calls on people from New York, Texas, Illinois, Texas, uh, Florida, uh, California. So it, it's a different setup, but, but we're missing the, some of the people in Maryville. But we've also discovered that there's quite a few people in, North, in the Northland here from Maryville, so we're, we're keeping contact that way. Well, that's good. And, of course, like you said, just a quick hop in the car and – back up here on a Saturday for a game or just stop at A&G for a quick dinner or something, right? So um, last one for you. As a former offensive coordinator and a guy that uh, did a lot of X's and O's with Northwest Missouri State back in the day, if you were an OC right now, is there one particular style of offense, regardless of you know any players you want to plug in there, is there a style of offense that you would like to go out there and run right now? <laughs> Well, being a former quarterback and an offensive coordinator uh, always always favors that, that passing game quite a bit. Um, however, I also like to win, number one. 
So uh, for as I, after I watched the first game of the Bearcat season this year, as I told several people, I'm going to give that ball to number two until he tells me stop giving me the ball. Um, so it depends on on I think all good coaches don't run a certain should not run just a certain system, but you should run a system that fits your personnel. So I definitely like to this in football spread them out, throw the ball around, but you've got to have a little bit of a running game too. Uh, back in the days, so those people might talk here. We did a little bit of run and shoot, but I'll be honest with you, uh, Matt, it hasn't changed that much. Uh, we were called Air Northwest back in 1984. <laughs> we were running three and four wides back then, but the pass routes, I watched them on Saturday, still pretty much the same. You know, they might come out of a few different formations than what we used to run, but uh, I just like to liked it to be wide open and exciting and uh, what what the kids like to play. You know, nowadays. So that's that's what I would probably do. You played ball at Tarkio College for your undergrad. Were you guys were you guys Air Tarkio College, or were you a little bit more under center and handing it off more? Well, um, the first couple years it was pretty traditional football, uh, some I formation, uh, maybe some pro set uh, type things split back. But um, my senior year, we had a new offensive coordinator come in. And he brought in the wishbone with him. So I was a wishbone quarterback my senior year. And I tell people I was deceptively slow. And so <laughs> when I when I faked that ball to the fullback and pulled it out, the defense would pursue so fast they couldn't believe how slow I was. The cutback for me always worked really well. So, um, But but I'll tell you what, running that offense, that wishbone offense, really helped me as a, as a high school coach and the concepts that I use in the next three years of high school and then into the college scene too. Um, people are still running the wishbone. They just don't line up in it, but they're still using the same blocking schemes and the concepts and everything. When you talk about those run pat, the RPOs, the run pass options, mm-hmm. that's all coming from option football right there back in the, back in the seventies. Well, it, you know, so much that you picked up through high school and Tarkio College, working at Northwest Missouri State after coaching in high school, and, and then um, on into the radio booth. I know last weekend having you in Joplin with John calling that football game, it was a lot of fun for me to be able to tune in to listen to. And anytime that you want to hop back on, um, provide some of that analysis, I'll always hand that headset over to you. So anytime you want, Bob. So appreciate you filling in there with us on the Bearcat Radio Network, and thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me here today. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you doing this, and I appreciate uh, giving me a chance to, to tell a little bit and, and to hopefully people understand how, how, how great a place it is there at Northwest. Uh, I, I always thought that was the place it was going to be for me, and I was fortunate enough to get back there thanks to, thanks to Coach Red and Coach Flanagan, and, and it worked out very well for us. Well, thanks once again, Bob Late, joining us here on Bearcat Rewind. A great guy and great at what he does, too. It was a lot of fun having him here on the show today. If you've missed some of our recent episodes, they have included former Northwest Missouri State wide receiver Bryce Young, a former Bearcat linebacker who was on the team back when Bob Lade was coaching Steve Savard, Kevin Berg, Jesse Haynes, and many, many more, so check out those episodes of the podcast. Thanks to Northwest Missouri State professor Alex Kurt producing our intro and outro music, and thank you for tuning in to Bearcat Rewind. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends about the podcast. I'm Matt Tritton. We'll talk to you again next time.